0: Well, good morning, church. Let's give our children a hand again. The great job this morning. Yeah, if we'll just put into practice what they just sang, I can uh, save you about 25 minutes of my sermon. uh, That the Lord consume me from the inside out. I give you full control. Today is our first Sunday as an official Global Methodist Church. And uh, Emma and I have been appointed uh, to serve at Mount Horb Church, and uh, we are on the way to, uh, as um, Chad shared with you, an announcement for an event that will take place here on August 12th and 13th. On August August 13th, Bishop Scott Jones will be preaching here at Mount Horeb that Sunday morning. As Methodists, we spent the last five weeks looking at our biblical and theological roots, and our roots run deep with John Wesley. John Wesley. His convictions and beliefs were grounded in biblical truth. Wesley said he was a man of one book. He read thousands of books, but he was a man of one book, and that was the Bible. We've covered over the last five weeks salvation, discipleship, the Great Commission, holiness, and last week, Pastor Bill did a great job preaching on the transcendence of God, that God is knowable through the Holy Spirit, but there is so much about God that we cannot know because of his transcendence. Well, a couple weeks ago, Daniel uh, Stevanis over in the uh, traditional uh, sanctuary, excuse me, contemporary service, he, he preached and he wore those sunglasses. And I, uh, I just couldn't bring myself to do that. Um, it just, you know, it goes against my, uh, my uh, Asbury Seminary roots. So I decided instead of wearing sunglasses, I would order one of these. And now I have my very own John Wesley bobblehead, you know. So uh, I can uh, keep this in my office and remind me, of uh, the great tenets of John Wesley uh, that we hold dear at, at the church here. Now, there's a gift that I want to present to every Christian listening today. I can't give it to you in a box or in a bobblehead or even in a gift card. It's a gift that's more valuable than all the treasures of the world. Many have tried to buy it. The world would describe this gift as peace of mind, a feeling of security that all is well. For the future. Psychologists would define it as a well-integrated personality freed from frustration. The Bible is much more specific. It talks about the gift of knowledge, a gift of certainty, a gift of assurance regarding one's personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the assurance of your salvation. It is one of the cornerstone doctrines of John Wesley: to have the assurance of your salvation. Now, in October 1735, John and his brother Charles took a ship from England to travel to the state of Georgia as missionaries. It was during the third month of their journey that their ship was in a terrible storm. So much that the sea broke over the ship, it split the mainsail in pieces, the ocean poured into the decks, and a terrible screaming began among the English But there were some German Moravian Christians on board that in the midst of the storm, they calmly sang and they prayed. And this behavior so impressed John Wesley that he approached Mr. Spangenberg, one of the Moravian pastors, and questioned him about how his people could have such peace in the midst of such a storm. And the pastor said in reply, my brother, I must ask you one or two questions. And this morning, I'm going to ask you, as a congregation, one or two questions. The first question, he says, have you the witness within yourself? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? So church, people here today, listening online, do you have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit that you are a child of God? Wesley was numb by that question. He didn't know how to answer that question. He remained silent. And then Spannenberg said, I got another question. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ? That's my second question for you today. Do you know, personally know, Jesus Christ? Now Wesley's response was, he says, I know he's the savior of the world. And the German pastor said that's true but do you know that he saved you that he saved you and wesley gulped and says i hope he did i hope he died to save me but his words were not very sure why because john wesley at that time in his life did not have the assurance of his salvation it wasn't until three years later until wesley discovered john wesley discovered the assurance that Jesus Christ was his Savior, and he had the gift of eternal life. Now, his brother Charles was also consumed by this deep spiritual void. He'd been involved in evangelism, spiritual disciplines, done a lot of good works, but he didn't have the joy that the Bible talks about, the the abundant life, the inner witness that he was a child of God. He had doubts about his salvation, was sometimes overwhelmed by sin. And both Charles and John Wesley admitted later that they did not understand what their father tried to tell them. Their father was an Anglican priest, and on his deathbed in 1735, he told them that the inward witness is the strongest proof of Christianity. The inward witness, what God is saying to your soul, what God is speaking to your heart, is the most powerful proof of Christianity. Now, I believe it's a question that many here today have struggled with. Am I really saved? Do I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do I know that I'm going to go to heaven? And when the challenges of adversity, the temptation of sin, we get in a low point spiritually, it leads us sometimes to doubt our identity as a child of God. So I want to define assurance for you today, the assurance defined. The, the Webster Dictionary says assurance is a state of certainty, that you know something is true. Now, the biblical meaning of Christian assurance is confidence in God's goodness and faithfulness, confidence in full and final salvation. Today, I want all of us to understand through the power of the Holy Spirit what full salvation means and what final salvation means. If you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to read from Romans 8. And these verses were the cornerstone of what John Wesley believed to be the doctrine of assurance. For you have not received the spirit of slavery again to fear, But you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father God, I thank you that today we can have the assurance of our salvation that through Jesus Christ our sins have been forgiven and we've been given the gift of new life, that we can have the assurance today that we have the gift of eternal life and that we don't fear death and we don't fear life because of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So help us today to understand your truth in a world of confusion, craziness, And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen, and amen. So the witness of the Spirit. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits. The witness of the Spirit is an inward impression. That's the best way I can say it. It's an inward impression on, on our souls that comes from the Holy Spirit, that God loves us, and that through our receiving Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven, and we've been made right with God. An inward impression that comes from the Holy Spirit. We can't manufacture it. We can't try to make, give ourselves goosebumps. It is an inward expression that comes only from the Holy Spirit of God. A few minutes ago, we sang Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Today, if you know that you've been born of his spirit and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, then you can have the assurance of your salvation. You know, Fanny Crosby wrote that great hymn, and I wrote a devotion late last night for prayer prompts this week. So if you don't get our prayer prompts, uh, you can get those by calling the church office. But I wrote about Fanny Crosby, who was blind, and when she sang, and burst of rapture, raptures burst on my sight, angels descending. She was talking about the assurance of her salvation and the assurance of of eternity and that one day she would see again. And one day she would see angels descending and she would see bursts of rapture all around her. And that she wrote in her testimony that perhaps God didn't let her see physically so she could see spiritually and write great songs that we sing in churches all over the world. You know, there's a difference between faith and assurance faith is when we trust in God by inviting Jesus Christ into our life assurance is the knowledge that comes from knowing that Jesus Christ has come into our life now if you've flown a good bit you notice pretty quickly people who have not flown before right you know if you were to see two people sitting next to each other and one a frequent flyer you know, the first person that gets to get on the plane because they got so many miles built up and they get on the plane and they immediately take out their laptop or a magazine and they're working. The the, the chair, the, the the seat is their office because they've done this thousands and thousands of times. But seated right next to them is somebody who's never flown and they got a death grip on the seat, you know, and they're, they're anxiously looking around and then the plane takes off and... And then a little bit later, they, they, they serve some lunch. You know, they don't do that as much anymore. But they give you some lunch, and the, 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 the frequent flyer eats all of it while the newbie reaches for the barf bag and doesn't touch the food. Now, the plane lands. Both passengers arrive at the same place at the same time. They're both safe, but they had entirely different experiences on the journey. See, I believe that faith gets you on the plane. Assurance helps you enjoy the journey. It is by faith that we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And assurance gives us the joy of our salvation, the joy of abundant life. The Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith and not by our own efforts. The assurance is the joy of knowing that we're saved by the gift of God. You know, Wesley believed there was a direct witness that was the inner impression, direct witness, inner impression of the Holy Spirit impressing on our hearts and our souls, our minds, our thoughts. But there's also an indirect witness, which is the outward testimony of a changed life. Those two are in concert. You won't have an inward impression if you don't have an outward expression. If the outward expression doesn't match the inward work of God, they're out of sync. Does that make sense? So there's got to be an inward work that expresses itself outwardly. You know, assurance is not just a feeling, but an understanding. And I believe that one reason people lose their assurance of their salvation and their hope of eternal life is because they depend too much on their feelings. I don't feel this way today. Well, our feelings come and go, right? They change. I thought about this this morning on the way to church, and I added this story to my sermon. Because, you know, I love to fish, and I love to bass fish. And when we were in Missouri, I bought my first little bass boat and would tournament fish out in Missouri. And then came to Conway, and I tournament fished a little bit on the Waccamaw River, down on the Big Petey River, and and, in the rice fields, and just had fun doing that. Then we got here to Lexington, lived close to a big old lake full of a lot of fish, but never had time to fish. Kids were younger, you know, baseball, band, all that stuff. And it just, it's a big lake. I'd go out there and it was such a big lake, I never could find any fish or anything. So the Lord brought into my life and Lynn and I's life a couple, uh, Reggie and Leslie, and they came into our life and and so got to be friends. And then one day Reggie called me and says, hey, would you like to fish on Lake Murray, he says, "My wife says that if you fish this tournament trail, I can fish it." I said, "So I'm your ticket, right?" He said, "Yeah, you're my ticket. If you fish, I get a fish." I said, "Okay, so let's do this." So, so I remember the first morning we we get ready to go, and you know, it's a, it's it's January. You know, I think you can't catch fish on Lake Murray in January, right? Surely not. And I'm all decked out in a sheepster, and I'm wrapped up, and I got a face mask on, a helmet because. Reggie goes really fast, you know, it's one of those really fast bass boats, you know. So I'm, I'm ready, and I'm not very optimistic. I'm not very confident. Oh, don't I don't have a whole lot of assurance. And then Wesley, I mean, uh, then the, uh, Reggie said to me, Wesley said, what are you doing? Uh, Reggie said to me, um, I've, got a, I've got a three fish located. I go, yeah, right. He said, no, seriously, i got three fish located. So he went to the first spot up under a limb of a tree, caught a fish. I said, oh, that's pretty impressive. He said, now let's go get two more. I said, okay. And so he said, we got two fish on a boat ramp. I'm going to throw a jig. You're going to throw a shaky head with a, a pumpkin-colored uh, worm, and we're going to catch these two fish. Sure enough, we catch both fish. Put them in the net at the same time. Put them in the live well, and we're off and running. You know, and I'm going. This is crazy. This guy knows what he's doing. You know, and then he says to me, "That's all I got." You know, we're going to have to find the fish. And then he began to tell me that the wind blew from the west uh, that day and it blows into those coves that are facing to the west and the water gets a little warmer in there because of the kinetic energy and so therefore we're going to fish where the wind's blowing into these pockets and you're going to fish a white chatterbait slow rolling on the bottom and we're going to catch some fish okay he was right the first three times let's try it again so sure enough i catch the biggest fish of the tournament right i think we win the tournament you know it was incredible My, my my confidence is zooming right and so I feel now, after fishing with Reggie for those five months, four months, in, in January, February, March, April, May, I can catch fish on Lake Marie anytime because he taught me to do that. Now, what was funny about that, after our first tournament, we get back to the landing, and, you know, they're going to put your name in the paper and picture and all that stuff. And they got my name wrong, right? And so they left the Y off of my name. And so from then on, we were known as Reggie and the Curse, right? And so uh, <laughs> uh, just... It, uh, it worked well for the fishing. It didn't do a lot for my career, but you know. But uh, anyway, but, but assurance, right? Assurance is knowing that I can do this, knowing that God is in me, knowing that I have the gift of eternal life. The early Methodists preached about assurance. They sang about assurance. Their people experienced assurance. They witnessed and gave testimony to assurance. But My friends, assurance can get derailed. How does assurance get derailed? Well, when evil distorts God's intentions. And God wants you to be assured and the devil does not want you to be assured. The devil wants you to be full of doubt. And it began very early in the Bible. Genesis 3, uh, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? How many of you have heard the Voice, quiet voice, the doubts creep in. Did God really say? Did God really say you're forgiven? Did God really say that those bad things you did, he's forgotten? Did God really mean that? Did God really say that you can know for certain that you're going to go to heaven? Did God really say that? And then assurance becomes derailed. 1 Peter reminds this, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. To devour your assurance that Christ Jesus is in your heart. Now I want to talk about the difference between condemnation and conviction. Because condemnation is one of the tools the evil one uses to derail assurance. Condemnation is usually hazy hateful and hopeless. When when, when Satan brings feelings of condemnation on you, they're usually vague. It's a sense that there's something wrong with me. It's often connected with shame. Hear this, evil wants to hurt, not help. It wants to give you a burden, not bless you. Someone said this, that condemnation is like spiritual waterboarding where Satan tries to smother Any glimpse of God's goodness and love. He tries to drown people in their sins. Condemnation. He tries to get you to think more about your sin than your Savior. That your sin is too big and your Savior is too small. He offers misinformation that will cause you to make false conclusions about your circumstances. You know what that's like. You've been praying for a certain thing. It's biblical. You believe it's biblical. You've been praying for God to move in a mighty way. You've got prayer partners praying with you, and it doesn't happen when you want it to happen. And what does the evil one say? Well, maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you don't have enough faith. Maybe you're really not saved at all. Condemnation. He tries to tell you that you're too weak, that you have too many mistakes, that you've been disqualified. And I want to tell you, church, you've got to reject the lies of the devil. you got to hit the ejection button. Romans 8.1 is the most, one of the most liberating verses in the Bible. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't give in to condemnation. But I want to talk about conviction. Because there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction is from God. Conviction will make you feel pretty miserable about your sins. Why? Because God loves you, and God does not want you to remain in sin. Conviction leads us to confession. Conviction leads us to repentance. And conviction is not based on confusion, but on clarity. God won't confuse you. He'll give you clarity. Conviction is specific It's rooted in restoration and not destruction. It's based on love and condemnation is based on hate. Conviction is hopeful while condemnation is hopeless. I read this this week, godly grief over our sin, godly grief over our sin, which is conviction, is the waiting room that leads to repentance and rejoicing. So know the difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation comes from the evil spirit. But also we need to understand the difference between confusion and convictions. Today we live in a world where people are being crippled by confusion. When it comes to values, when it comes to truth, and that leads to doubt. It seems that like we think to be modern is to wrestle with doubt, is to question anything and everyone Great confusion about absolute truth. People want to say, "I've got my truth, you've got your truth." That's confusing. Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth and the life." First Corinthians 14 says, "For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. If there is confusion in your life, it's not coming from God. God wants to give you clarity through conviction. So you'll have convictions. I love what 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4 says from the message paraphrase. Paul writes, and this is a paraphrase. If our message is obscure to anyone, it's not because we're holding back in any way. No, it's because these other people are looking or going the wrong way and refuse to give it serious attention. All they have eyes for is the fashionable God of this world. They've got their eyes on the god of this world and the god of this world is giving more and more and more confusion which leads to more and more darkness. They think he can give them what they want and they won't have to bother believing in a truth they can't see. The truth we can't see we accept by faith that Jesus is the son of God. Amen. And he has the power to change our lives. Now not all doubt is bad. Doubt can lead us to a deeper faith, but God has not caused us to live our lives full of doubt and confusion. He wants us to live with convictions. I stand here, I believe this. And when we have convictions, it leads to deeper assurances. Now I'm going to talk a minute about assurances, divine design. This is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, First John five, when I'm talking to someone who has doubt, who's a believer, a follower of Jesus, who's been overwhelmed with doubt. And this is what God has testified. This is God's testimony. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God, so that you what may know you may know you may know that you have eternal life. See, Wesley believed that we should have the assurance of our salvation, that we should know through the witness of the Holy Spirit that we have been saved. Now, what does it mean to be saved? It means that all of us are sinners, and all of us fall short of the glory of God, but through believing in Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, by believing in him, our sins are forgiven, and we are saved from eternal suffering, eternal condemnation, eternal damnation. That's what it means to be saved. By the grace of Jesus Christ and to have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit that we have the assurance of salvation. Now, secondly, one of the divine designs of assurance is the assurance of presence. The presence that God is with us in this world. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-eight twenty, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, be certain of this, have the assurance of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, assurance comes because we know that Jesus declared that I'll be with you always, even till the end of the age, to the end of time. Now, he's with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in God incidents. There's so many times when I have witnessed the presence of God through an incident. Uh, one of my good friends sent me a picture this week over his house in Ballantine. This was this past Wednesday. And he said, got a God sign. And that's, that, somebody in Valentine needed that. They needed to be reminded that God is still on the throne and he is still present in this world. I'll never forget what it was like on December the 22nd, 2018, we'd received word that Lynn's dad was near death in a hospital in Myrtle Beach. And we were trying to get to Myrtle Beach before her dad passed away, three days before Christmas. As we were traveling along the way, getting updates from her family, we got to Florence, and then all of a sudden rainbows started breaking out in Florence in the sky above us. In In December, three days before Christmas, A reminder that God was with us. A reminder that he was going to guide us. And by the grace of God and the goodness of God, we got there before our dad died. But I'll never forget those rainbows along the way reminding us that God is with us. had a situation uh, a couple weeks ago. We had gotten, um, we're going through the process of becoming a new entity. No longer Mount Horb United Methodist Church, but Mount Horb Church. And so Penny, our director of operations, financial operations, said, hey, Pastor Jeff, uh, we got a bill uh, from Dominion for $30,000 for new deposits on our name change. So we have 11 different accounts, so that meant we have to pay 11 different deposits. I said, that doesn't seem right. So I called our good friend Keller Kissam and uh, Kissam him. I said, how are we Kissam, Kiss him, there you go. Uh, one of those two things, anyway. <laughs> Keller, I used to call him Keller. I can not get it right. But uh, I said, Keller, we got a bill for $30,000 for uh, deposits on new entities. He says, that doesn't sound right. I said, that's what I thought. <laughs> he said, let me check on that. And so he, a few minutes, he called me back and says, hey, this is a God moment. I'm so glad that you called me because now not only is Mount Horv not going to be charged, but all those other 112 churches in South Carolina that also left that are customers' dominion aren't going to pay that either. Here we go. There you go. So... Now, that wasn't a coincidence. That was a God instance. It reminds us that he's still on the throne. He's still in charge. And then we have this divine design, the assurance of our salvation, the assurance of God's presence, and the assurance of eternal life. I have written these to those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. You know, I was in college. We would go and do evangelism uh, in, during spring break and etc., cetera. And we used the program called Evangelism Explosion. And you would share the plan of salvation with people, invite them to know Jesus Christ. And you would close with one of these questions. If you were to die tonight, do you know that you would go to heaven? And I can tell you that's a hard question for some people. I believe that when you accept Jesus Christ in your heart, you can know without a shadow of a doubt that if you die that night, you will go to heaven. Now, I didn't have that assurance when I was 14 years old. In fact, I was scared to death of dying. But when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, he took away that fear because he gave me the assurance of eternal life. You know, we've got to make a decision about Assurance. You know, who's the most famous person in the Bible that lacked assurance? We gave him a name. What's his name? Doubting Thomas, right? Now, for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't with the first disciples whenever the disciples, when they first saw Jesus resurrected. And Thomas says, I need to see for myself in order to believe that Jesus is not dead. And so Jesus said, I mean, Thomas said, I've got to see the nail scars on his hands to be convinced. And when Thomas saw Jesus resurrected, saw his nail scars, he confessed his faith in the risen king. And Thomas proclaimed, my Lord and my God, and he fell and worshiped. I love what Jesus said to Thomas in John 20, 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are you Who have not seen and yet have believed. Charles Wesley was near death from pleurisy. He was doubting his salvation, he was fearful of dying. His Moravian friends had come and tried to witness to him and convince him of the assurance of his salvation. It was on May 21st, 1738, Pentecost Sunday. He wrote these words, I laid back to rest and heard a voice say, <clears throat> in the name of Jesus, arise and believe and thou shalt be healed of all thine infirmities. It was Mrs. Turner, the Moravian housekeeper who'd been praying for Charles Wesley to receive the assurance of his salvation. Charles would I lay still, hardly daring to hope, heart palpitating, but on that day, on that moment, I received the witness of the Holy Spirit. In that same year, Charles Wesley wrote, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing My Redeemer's Praise, because he knew for sure that he was saved. And he knew that if he died from pleurisy, he would be okay. And that embarked John and Charles Wesley on a Methodist revival that spread across England and beyond. That assurance of salvation caused John Wesley to ride more than 175,000 miles on a horse. That's seven times around the world, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and the assurance of salvation. Now, one of the influences on John Wesley was the Puritan theologian, Thomas Brooks. And he wrote this little tract that Wesley held on to. It says, we who are Christians, we have all things in Christ. And he said this, he wrote this, if we are sick, Jesus is our physician. If we thirst, Jesus is our fountain. If sin troubles us, Jesus is our righteousness. If we stand in need of help, Jesus is mighty to save. If we fear death, Jesus is life. If we're in darkness, Jesus is light. If we are weak, Jesus is strength. If we live in poverty, Jesus is plenty. If we desire heaven, Jesus is the way. Friends, if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved because in Christ you have all you need. Whatever it is I think I don't have, I have in him. And whatever it is you think you don't have, you can have in Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago, Trevor, in his sermon, talked about the faith of Abraham. How Abraham trusted God to the point that he was willing to sacrifice his only son on an altar. The son who that God had made a promise that All the descendants of the earth will be blessed through. And Abraham climbed that mountain, Mount Moriah, in chapter 22 of Genesis, and laid his son on an altar, trusting that God would have a plan, assured that God had a plan. If you know the story, then there was a ram caught in the thicket, and that ram became the sacrifice. I love how Hebrews chapter 11 of the New Testament describes what happened? By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Love this. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. Back from death. See, my friends, when we believe that Jesus Christ can raise the dead, when Thomas was convinced that Jesus Christ was resurrected, it changed everything. Today, as Christians, we believe in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We look backwards and see that. I look backwards and see all the places where God was present in my life. I have full assurance of my salvation. I love these words from Chris Tomlin, great artist. He says, there's a peace I've come to know. I want you to have that peace today. There is a peace I've come to know. Though my heart and flesh may fail, there is an anchor for my soul, and I can say it is well. Today, I want to give you an invitation to receive this gift, the gift of peace. From the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. You know, when I was 14, I became a believer. And when I started going to that little Methodist church, I would go down to this altar almost every Sunday. And I would kneel and pray because I wasn't sure that I was saved. I wasn't sure I was good enough. Was God telling me that? No. It was the leftover remnants of evil in my life telling me that you're not good enough. You're not good enough. And I wish I had known to say this to the devil. To say, you know, Satan, maybe you're right. When I was at that little Baptist church, maybe I didn't really give my life to Christ that night, but you know what, Satan? Right now I am. Right now, as you are my witness, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. And right now, in this moment, I'm saved by the grace of God. Right now, in this moment. And so no matter how You've experienced faith no matter how you've experienced grace. What's important is right now. Right now. So I want to pray for you. And then as we sing, I want to invite you, to, if you feel led to come to this altar and kneel and bow and receive Christ into your life for the first time, or just say, Lord, give me that peace. Give me the assurance that I have from the Holy Spirit. I need from the Holy Spirit. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your love, your grace. Thank you for forgiving us through Jesus Christ. I thank you for everybody that's listening that is a believer. And I pray right now for any believer that's not sure, that you would give them your witness through the Holy Spirit that you've forgiven their sins and you've given them the gift of eternal life. And Lord, for that person listening today that has not made that decision, that today they will make the decision to invite Jesus Christ into their life. Ask him to forgive them of their sins and that you would give them the inward witness that they are a son and a daughter of yours. Do your work now. In Jesus' name we pray.